All right. Thank you very much for the audience. Yeah, I'll be speaking on my advice for a believer whose desire and longing is on material gains and possessions. Material gains and possessions. All right. So the first thing to say is that the desire to gain material wealth or to gain wealth is not evil in itself. What makes it evil is that when the desire is outside the government of God, our desires in itself are not evil. But when they stand against the government of God, that is what makes it evil. Now, in the real context of heaven, uh, there are hierarchies to this. Now, Jesus Christ was giving us a perspective to wealth. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and every other thing will be added. What he's saying is that, all right, what is not the problem? You see, what is not the problem? What has never been the problem? It is, it is, God is our father. He owns the whole earth. He owns the whole heaven and earth. So it's not a problem to give you what he has. It's our thing. But then there is a protocol to achieving this in the kingdom. Bible said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then every other thing, what you are, Bible said, that is what the Gentiles seek. He said, take no thought saying, I, I, I mean, it started from Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. He said, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or where shall we be clothed? For after all these things does the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that he need of all these things. Now, those material wealth, God knows that you need them. He knows that you need a car, you need a house, you need money in your account. But it has to be in the context of the kingdom. Because the life of a believer is a kingdom life. And our life is regulated from the heavens, from the throne of God. So, and the way it is been done in Israel is that we don't seek money as a unique goal. Our goal for seeking God is not for money. Our goal for everything we do is not wealth. Our goal in our pursuit for God is not wealth. It is the kingdom. But in your seeking, in your protocol of seeking the kingdom, you will encounter wealth. I mean, wealth will be added to you. You see, the problem is that when your pursuit for money becomes a unique goal, it's not within a contest then you start seeking mammon. Bible said, um, you can't serve God and mammon. There was never a time where God was compared to devil. There was never a time where, God, where, where they wrote God and devil together, no. But you see, the way God deserves human worship, that's the way mammon too ask for human worship. So almost this is, when people don't serve God, they serve mammon. They serve mammon. And so you must understand that uh, when you start seeking money or material things as your unique goal, as your end product, as what you use your life seeking for, and not the government of God, and not the will of God, eventually you will discover that you start serving the God of mammon. You start serving mammon. One of the key words that the Lord has given to me, one of the key verses of this week that the Lord has given to me when it comes to things about money about our pursuit is that um i think uh, the bible said this somewhere it said um it said content it said godliness with contentment is a great gain kai 
that word eats me so hard. Godliness and contentment is a great gain. Number one, godliness. Then contentment. Bible said is a, you see, when, Bible, when God says something is great, when Bible says something is great, there are only a few places where some things, where some things were described as great. So great is salvation, great judgment. Now, those things shows extent. Say godliness and contentment is a great gain. For we bring nothing to this world, and it is sure that we take nothing from this world. He said, having food and raiment, let us dare with be content. Let us therefore be content. And say that the love of money. Now, money is not a problem. Money is not a problem. It's the love of money. Now, when we say love of money, it's, it's a saying that the love of the world. It's a saying that the love of wristwatch. Now, when the, your love for anything exceeds your love for God, then it has starts, it, it has starts attracting your worship. Then said, the love of money. Is the root of all evil, where some have coveted, and then they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. Oh, ye man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. So there are some things that worth pursuing. It's not wealth as it were. It's not wealth as the government of God. You see, you know something? If you're actually seeking God in the real contest, God will bless you with wealth. You will encounter wealth yourself. If God has checked your heart, and he knows that, um, in your sincere heart, you want him, you desire him more than money. You desire him beyond everything. You desire him above everything. He will bless you with wealth. You won't lack anything good. Our father Abraham, that was the pioneer of this faith, he didn't lack anything good. But I'm saying that that should not be your pursuit. That should not be your goal. When they are saying give to church, it's not your goal should not just be a transaction transaction as not to um end yourself no your goal is for the love of jesus and you know something there's a law in the spirit that is also unripping even if you don't expect it you will reap it if you so you will reap so your goal for seeking god your goal for praying your goal for engaging god your goal for working for god your goal for doing this and that should not be material things alone let us pursue spiritual things let us pursue eternal things let us pursue god in his in his contest and the lord will bless us. Thank you very much. If you have other questions, please you can reach us to us. And by the wisdom of God, we trust God that God blesses us with wisdom to answer you. Thank you very much. All right. So thank you very much once again. Um, I'll be answering the question, how does Christianity affect our daily lives? How does Christianity affect our daily lives? Now, the first thing that I want us to understand is that Christianity itself is a life. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a sect of activity, as it were. Christianity in itself is a life. It's a life of God. It's living the life of God. It's a life of God in display. That is God embodying you so that you can live his life. That is why Paul says that, Yet not I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. That the life that I now live is the life of Christ. So Christianity itself is a life. And when a man believes in Christ and he has received Christ, he's not expected to start living the Christian life. You see, we are the one that call it my financial life, my marital life, my, this, uh, my academic life, my career life. You see, what you actually have is a Christian life. 
What you have is a spiritual life. Now, all those remaining stuffs, they are offshoots of your Christian life. So, obviously, when you receive this life, it affects, it changes your orientation, changes your culture, it becomes your new life. It becomes your culture. It, it, it becomes the life you live. It affects every areas of your life. It affects every dealings of your life because every other areas of your life take their roots from your Christian life. So it's, it affects your culture, affects your behavior, affects your comportment, affects your, um, your perspective about matters. Now, because what you're not living is the life of Christ. It affects the way you see things, affects the way you see people. Because now, you have to see people the way Jesus Christ see them. Jesus Christ said that, henceforth, no no man after the flesh. Okay, so it's what that said, henceforth, no no man after the flesh. So now, the way you know people is not to know them by the flesh. Now, the way to react to people is not the way your flesh will react to people. I would say that now, be ye examples of believers in doctrine, in life, in words, in communication, in love, in, I mean, in behavior, in everything. Because all these things, they must have been tampered worked on by the life of God that is in you. The way a normal person will react to a bike man is not the way you will talk. The way you react to an enemy is not the same way you will react. What you do when you wake up in the day is not the same thing that people do when they wake up in the day. Your plans is, your plans is affected. The way you do relationship is affected. The way you do business is affected. Now all these things are all these things they, they, they take their life from your spirit's life. So the way you do business, you will not you wake up every day planning to do good, not to hurt a man. Do business the right way, not to dub people. Attend to relationship the, the good way, the God way. Love all men, love all nature. Um, they, they offend you, that doesn't matter. Bible said you love them. All, all men. Now, all these things, they affect your... That, I mean, that is how Christianity affects your daily living. You will not talk the way God, the way God will not talk. Because now, you, like, you have the life of God that is inside of you, that is regulating your manners, that is regulating you. It, it's obvious. If, it, if, your, if what you call Christianity doesn't affect your daily, your daily lifestyle, you throw your Christianity on Sunday and you now live your own life from Monday to Saturday before, and then, and then now come to church on Sunday to live the Christian life. You are not a believer. Or, 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 or let me say, you don't know a Christian life. Because this is the life you carry. This is the life you live from every day of your life. Every day is a Sabbath day for us. Every day is a Sabbath day for us. Every day is a, is, a Sabbath, is, a, is a Sabbath day for us. So that is why Christianity affects our daily living, affects our daily living, our conversation, our interactions, our, the way we do business, the way we, the way we attend meetings. I mean, it affects our all-round life, even to the minute matters. Now you can hear God. Now God can correct you on what you did wrong. Now God will not allow you to do some things. Because this life that you are not living is the life of Christ in you. It's not you that lives now, but Christ that lives in you. He cannot tell you to heal the sick. I mean, that could be because the ministry of Jesus Christ was a normal day activity. He didn't have a church. 
But what is normal life? So our normal life is meant to be supernatural. It's meant to be lived by the life of God. Nothing less than that. Because you have the government of God upon your life. God cannot regulate you. He cannot talk to you. He cannot say, no, this is the way it should be. This is the way it should be. This is No, don't do it this way. This is the way it should be. So Christianity will obviously, obviously affect your daily living. Affect your daily living. Affect your daily living. In what? In behavior, in character, in comportment, in reaction, in everything, in your response, in the way you do business, every, I mean the way you handle money, everything. Christianity will have its place in everything. Because now you are not living under the government of the great monarch of Zion. That is, you are living under the government of the great God in heaven. If you have other questions, please you can let us know. Thank you very much. All right, thank you very much. We'll be answering this question. What does it mean to live a victorious Christian life? What does it mean to live a victorious Christian life? Now, it basically means to exert the dominion that we already have in Christ Jesus. To exert the dominion that we have in Christ. That is what it means to live a victorious Christian life. To exert the dominion we already have in Christ on elements. For example, sin. Satan and all appearances of Satan. It could be anything, but basically sin, because actually what Jesus Christ died for is to save the sin of the world, is to save us from sin. Now we already we already saved from sin. Now to exert that dominion upon our life, to actually live afloat the dominion of sin, because he said, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the the law, your hunger grace. Now, to exert that dominion is to live a victorious Christian life. I don't know if you understand. Now, as a believer, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Because you already said we are more than conqueror. Now, when we talk about victory, when we talk about conqueror, it means that there's a place of battle somewhere. But then we are not fighting to obtain victory. We are fighting from the place of victory because Christ has already finished the work. He has already overcome. So now to exert this mandate, to exert this dominion upon our life, to make it a reality or an experiential reality upon our life, that is what it means to live a victorious Christian life. Victory over sin and victory over appearances of the devil. I mean, it could be in any form. It could be in any format. But to exert dominion constantly, victory constantly, and to live the way Christ wants us to live upon the earth without a limitation from darkness, without devil having a place in our life. That's what it means to live a victorious Christian life. You are living free like the bird in the air. You are living the way God will have you live. No limitation, no lack. I mean, no hand of devil anywhere. There is no appearance of devil anywhere. You are like what Jesus said, that just like that the devil come and find nothing in me. I mean, you, you, you're not addicted. Sin has no dominion over you. The flesh has no dominion over you. Even sickness, I mean, all appearances, all forms of devil doesn't have dominion over you. I mean, you're living the way God will have you live. You're exerting dominion wherever God will have you exert dominion. I mean, you scare the devil away from your 
from your circumference. That is what it means to live a victorious Christian life. A victorious Christian life. So it means you're actually exerting dominion, the dominion that, that's already have in Christ. You're living it out. You're not a slave. You're not being dominated. You're actually dominating. You, 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 have, you, have, you, have, you are exercising the victory you have in Christ Jesus over sin, over Satan. But we said, um, rebuke the devil and we flee away. I mean, we, as soon as far as you are exerting your governmental power in Christ Jesus over sin and over Satan, you're actually living a victorious Christian life. Nothing is holding you. I mean, you are not a slave to anything. You are not being conquered by the world system. You are not being conquered by the powers of the world system. The powers that flies in the day or the ones that flies at night. I mean, you are living constantly from the victory that you have in Christ Jesus. And that is faced by having the understanding of who you are in Christ Jesus. And then walking. I mean, number one, your sitting posture. That is, you are sitting with Christ in in heavenly places, that is the knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus. Then your walking posture, walking circumspectly, the way Christ will have you walk. And then your standing, standing, that talks about your warfare posture as a believer. Once you can exercise this posture, and then you are living the way Christ will have you live. You are actually living a victorious Christian life. No, I mean, nothing broken. I mean, you are, you are living fine the way God will have you live. That is what it means to live a victorious Christian life. So if you have any question, you can reach us to us. Thank you very much. All right, so thank you very much. I'll be answering this question on how do I exercise my faith in God in difficult times? How do I exercise my faith in God in difficult times? Now, the number one thing I would like to say about that is that learn to... Learn to fight, learn to war before difficult times. Prepare before difficult times. Learn God, learn the way of God, learn the way of victory. Learn how to exercise dominion before difficult time. When difficult time arise, it's easier to exercise what you have already known before. But now, when difficult times meet you unprepared, you're most likely going to be begging God for mercies. Meanwhile, there are spiritual arsenals that are meant to be engaged in the days of battle or when at a difficult situation. Now, but all these things are not meant to be learned in difficult situations. They are meant to be learned before difficult situations. And now we have tools for it. The tool of the word of the Lord. The tool of the word of God and the tool of prayer. Those are the major tools we have. You see, when David said that the Lord teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight, he knows what he's actually saying. God armed him with knowledge, with light to battle with. So he said, blessed be the Lord God of David. Or blessed be the Lord who teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. He discovered that the day he met Goliath was not the day he started fighting. He has already, he has already won several battles. Small, small battles. Because sometimes the... Small, small battles you have, or the little, little at time you have, they actually, sometimes they are orchestrated um, victory, or they, are, or they are orchestrated for a bigger battle. I mean, the victory you have in the smaller battles, they are the ones you will use. I mean, the lesson you've learned 
why winning smaller battles they are the ones that we use when a bigger battle comes so what i'm saying in essence is that uh you are not just meant to be learning this at a situ at a difficult time what you're meant to do at a difficult time is to engage what you've learned i don't know if you understand that so i'm saying that before the difficult time that is when to know how to survive at time that's when to know how to exercise your faith in god you should let once you learn to exercise its faith in god every day every time every time the opportunity comes to exercise one's faith in god one should learn to do that so when difficult time comes or from the abundance of what you've learned that's how you will approach it if you will now it will, it will not be as though you are not bringing sword from your quiver because Already, you've learned a whole lot from the Lord. Now, when the difficult time come, you know how to engage it. You could actually, you could, you could actually fight it easily. You could actually exercise your faith easily at those time, because you've already learned it in your journey in God. Now, how do you exercise your faith in God in difficult times? Number one way is by prayers. Number two ways is by the word. I'm not putting it at any hierarchy, but the word of the Lord and prayer. Those are your tool for exercising faith or for exercising dominion in difficult times. Now, whenever difficult times comes, what is the, what's what has the Lord or what has the word of the Lord said concerning it? Because there's really nothing that the word of the Lord did not have any say about it. The word of the Lord has come concerning all matter, or the, the, or there is something you can relate your difficult time to in the word of the lord already now and you already know that you have victory in christ you already armed with the knowledge of your victory in christ you already know that yes you are in a seated position in christ jesus and then did the, and then you know that the difficult time did not come or it's all it's all it was not god that want to wickedly bring you a difficult time you already know that the thoughts of god for you are of good and of and not of evil to give you an expected end you know that there are sometimes that difficult times comes from a devil's orchestration. Now, I mean, you are armed with enough knowledge of the love of Jesus for you. And you are also armed with the knowledge of your standing posture, which is the posture of warfare. Now, what has the word of the Lord said concerning your matter? That is the first thing to search. Or you want to know the standpoint of the Lord. You want to know the, the, the perspective of the Lord concerning this matter. Then you take it to the Lord in prayers. Engage in prayers. Now, the Lord will have to teach you the ways to pray. Because now, prayer, Bible said, pray all kinds of prayer. Now, there are all kinds of prayer. There are prayers to pray. There are prayers of faith. There are prayers you pray just to engage your spirit. There are prayers of you pray just to rest. Then there are prayers to pray for warfare. There are prayers, I mean, there are, there are, there are prayers of faith too. Now, prayer has different dimensions. Now, it will not be from your knowledge and from your engagement in God, that you will now know how to survive this particular difficult time. How do you survive it? Because not all difficult time has the same posture or have the same uh, have the same um, elements. Now, the, the, the posture it comes will now dictate to you how you will approach it. How do you engage the world? How do you engage prayer in this kind of difficult time? What do you need? You see, is it the word of the Lord you need? Or you need a solution. Or you still need the word of the Lord to engage for a solution. I don't know if you understand that. So number one, arm yourself with the word of the Lord. Know what the Lord has said concerning you. Know that the thought of God for you is of good and not of evil. 
Know that evil only comes from the devil. God is not the source of evil. Know how to war. Know how to use the word of the Lord. Be conversant or be, be get close to the word of the Lord. Let it saturate you. Let the word of the Lord dwell in you richly. Grow by the knowledge of Christ. Exercise faith daily in your Christian work. Now, when the time, when the, when the time of battle comes, you will use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. And then you will use all kinds of prayers. Now, there are, there, are several, there are several reasons for prayers, or there are several results you get from prayers. Number one, sometimes... Uh, the situation will not change. It is you that will change. This will come by as you engage the word and prayers. This, you will change. And, and you will now discover that, that uh, 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 it was only a matter of time. And sometimes God actually needs to rule the way the situation or the time or the, or, the, or, the, or the period of crisis. God, sometimes we need to rule it away. You need, and sometimes you need to scare or to, to, to get the devil out of the way. You need to scare him or chase him out and clear your territory, clear your domain from his reach. I don't know if you understand that. But then all these things, they all depend on the nature of the difficult time and they also depend on your engagement. I don't know if you understand that. So that is how to engage your faith in difficult times. Engage your faith from the word of the Lord that is in the scripture, and then true prayers, true prayers, true prayers. Some there are some things that God that you can get from prayers. Number one, God can release peace into your heart. Number two, God can grant you direction on how to really pray or on how to get through those difficult times. And number three, God can actually equip you because now Bible said we are more than con. He said, uh, uh, in all these things we are more than conqueror. Not out of the now. There are some times that God will not take you out of the situation. Even in the situation, you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be more than a conqueror. I don't know if you understand that. Um, I don't know if you understand that. So sometimes in all these things, you are still more than a conqueror. So God will, so you will, the, 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 the time can still stay for a while, but you, you have already changed. God has equipped you. God has taught you. God has helped you. God has built your faith. God has, God has brought your perspective from the, from, the, um, from the war or from the crisis. He has now shifted your gaze on him. God has worked upon you. So all the situation, all the, all the hard time, they were used as an orchestration for you to keep your gaze on Jesus again. Now, as I said earlier, sometimes God will release peace. Sometimes God releases his word for you. Sometimes God will grant you direction on how to war accurately. And there's something that God will have to change you. That means God will have to invest in you. God will have to change your gaze. God will have to equip you to live afloat above those difficult crises. But then the basic thing about difficult crises is that majorly the word of the Lord or the word, or, or the word from God or basically the scripture, then prayers, every other thing will come out from it. Once you engage these two realities, an account, I mean, you receive an encounter. There's no way. It's either he really speaks into your mind. It's either he speaks to you or he gives you direction or he equips you. But then surely, 
God will do something that will eventually help you. Then, and then everything you now discover that His plan for you has ever been good and not of evil to give you an expected end. If you have other question, if you have other question, if you need clarity, you can reach out to us. Thank you very much. All right, good day to you once again. I'll be answering this question. Uh, as a Christian, how can I know the will of God for me in circumstances, difficulties, and tough situations? Now, the very first thing that tough situations, circumstances attack, either directly or, in, or indirectly, is the stability of your heart, is the stability of your mind. And that's one thing you must keep first. Once devils attack, or once circumstances cannot affect your heart, cannot affect the stability of your soul, cannot affect the peace of your mind, you are still safe. Because that's the, in fact, that's the end of the attack. For example, now if your child dies, the real attack is to your heart. It's against your faith. It's against your heart. It is against how much your heart is settled in the word of God, settled in the integrity or in trust in God. And settled uh, that God still loves you. That's I mean, those are the first thing that those things are meant. They are orchestrated to attack. And once you can secure that spot, you are still very safe, very very safe. And that's what you must first secure. Secure your heart. Secure the peace of mind. That's why we said, be you worried, be you anxious for nothing, but by prayer and thanksgiving. So he's saying that. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried about anything. But with prayer and supplication, let every request be made known unto God. And the very God of peace. Do you understand what he's saying? The first thing, be worried for nothing. Then pray. Then the God of peace settles your heart. So what he's saying is that the first place that the devil seems to attack is a very peace. Is to attack your joy. And a believer, once a believer loses his joy, it becomes more open to the attack. It becomes more open to the, to the effect of the circumstance. While you are, while there is storm, who you should see is Jesus. Even if Jesus is sleeping, waking up. Because that is what the disciples did. They said, Rabbi or Jesus, we are dying. Just guys woke up and rebuked the, the storm. So number one thing, is to first secure your heart. Don't let the devil steal your joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is more of is a, is a, is a, is a reaction or is a state of being that is influenced by external circumstances. But there's, there's but there's something called joy in the Holy Ghost, which is a which is one of the fruits of the spirit, of course, and it's also a of course it is a outflow from the Holy Ghost. It is internal. It is not it is not su subjected to circumst to circumstances. It is from an it is from the outflow of the Holy Ghost. That's the first thing to secure to when going through circumstances. Let your joy be intact. Rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice in the Lord. When Paul wrote that, he wrote that when he was in the prison. He said, "Rejoice! I say unto you again, rejoice." There are very few times that Bible talks like that. Rejoice. And I said unto you again, rejoice. He said that while he was in the prison. That means he was comforting the saints while he was in the prison. What kind of life is that? That means there's an outflow of joy even while he was in the prison. 
that you could still admonish the brethren outside. So, number one, don't let the devil steal your joy. Because that is your, that is your God. That is your God. Your joy, your peace of mind, the serenity of your soul, your trust in Jesus, your faith in the Son of God. Those things, they are your powerful uh, anchor that you live by. That's the first thing to secure. And they secure that. Don't let devil, don't hear the whispers of devil. Because most times, at, uh, at times of difficulty, there are only orchestrations to a place that devil wants to get to, to what devil wants to do. So he, he, he allows many things to happen, not because many things are attached to that thing, but because he wants to get to your heart, he wants to get to your joy, he wants to get to your faith. He wants, he wants to attack them. So, no, as a spiritual person, you need to be very, very spiritually intelligent to know what the devil is actually doing. Now, this thing that the devil is doing, what is he trying to do? Then what is God trying to do? Or why did God allow this? If God allows it, that means there's something that you need to learn from there. You need to be patient. You need to listen. You need to know what God is doing. I miss what the devil is doing. I don't know if you understand that. While it's looking like devil is doing the whole thing, check, you see that God is still working silently right there. I don't know if you understand that. So that's the first thing to know. Secure your heart posture. Then pay attention to what God wants to do eventually or what God is doing eventually. While Joseph was going through the prison, there was something God was doing. I don't know if you understand that. While Daniel was in the den of lion, there was something God was doing. Bible said the thoughts of aim are of good and not of evil to give us an expected end. The journey might be crooked, but the expect but the end is the expected end, the end that he wants for us. So let your hearts stay on the word of God. Let your hearts stay in the word of God, on the word of God. Let your hearts stay on the promises of God. Let your hearts stay on the love of God for you. That it doesn't mean evil. God never means evil. Evil doesn't come from God. Evil comes from devil. Don't, don't be like Job. Don't make the mistake of Job. To think all the evil came from God. God doesn't do evil. He doesn't tempt with evil. It is, it is all from devil. All God does is good. So why devil, why de, devil is working? Why problems and circumstances? The Bible said in this world you go to tribulations. But when the Bible said that uh, uh, can... What will, what, will you, what will cut us away from the love of Christ with tribulation, with this and that? He said, in all these things, not out of all these things. Not out of, he said, even in all these things, you're more than conqueror. Do you understand that? That means the life of God in you makes you more than a conqueror. Even in all these things, you can live afloat there. And that is when you secure your heart. Secure your heart. Secure you the joy of the Lord in your soul. Secure it. Secure it. Then stay, dwell on the word of the Lord. Dwell on the promises of God. Check the words of the Lord that the Lord has spoken to you already. The words of the Lord, the, the word that the Lord has spoken to you aforetime. Stay on them. Meditate on them. Profess them. Confess them. Confess them. Confess them. The circumstances they are looking at is not new. Check through the word of the Lord. Some people have gone through it and they have succeeded. And they came out bright. So, stay on the word of the Lord, claim, proclaim the promises of God, 
let your faith be firm. Stand tall. Those are the, I mean, those are not the period to run away, to keep to yourself, to stay off the fellowship of the brethren. No, that's where you receive your strength. Even when your strength wants to start failing you. And remember that if your strength fails in the days of battle, it means that your strength is weak. Or it means that you are weak. That's what the Bible said. So, keep your heart safe. Keep your heart on the promises of God. And spend time in prayers. Spend time in prayers. So that, so that the intimacy will still be intact. So that um, the atmosphere of heaven can still be kept intact. So that your heart can still be saturated. So that the peace of God can still remain firm. Yes. But then know that while it looks like the devil is working, God is working. While it looks like Herod is killing all the children as it's and sees a Messiah is rising. While it's looking like Pharaoh is killing all the children, Moses is rising. So don't focus on what the devil is doing and cast your face away from what God is doing. Pay close attention to what God is doing. To what, because, you see, when Bible said that all things work together for good to them that love God, it didn't say that good things work together for good. All things, even the orchestration of devil, is to lead. He, he, all, everything will work together for good to them that love Jesus. I don't know if you understand that. So, it's not just good thing. All things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Yes. All things work together for good. There was manipulation. Forget about it. This, anything that, everything, eventually, at the end of everything, you see that they work together for your good. Because you love God. That's it. God knows how to turn everything around for your good. He did that to Job. did that to Joseph. did that to Daniel. I mean, that is consistent. In fact, Bible says that if the God of the world, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus. Because they thought they were doing something. But they didn't know that eventually it was all for good. So, either, either, either they would like it or not. Is helping God in his program because eventually, if you check the revelation, eventually Jesus Christ won. Eventually, Jesus Christ won. So, whatever devil is doing, just know that everything will lead to the expected end that God has for you, and you have to be safe. The Lord bless your heart in the name of Jesus, and at least peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you very much. Um, the question is why does it take long before God answers our prayers? There are times we give up trusting him because of what we are going through. Yet, it doesn't still seem to reach out that he listens. Now, there are fundamentals that I want to, to mention now. Number one, God hears you every time. Every time you speak, God hears you. Even when you don't pray, God, for, God ever hears you. God ever hears your prayer. God ever hears your prayer. Every time you pray, God ever hears your prayer. But then there are many factors that affect the delivery of prayers. And that is what I'll be mentioning right now. And the second thing you must also understand is that God is, a, is, is an ever-loving God. He's an ever-loving God. He's an ever-loving God. And you must also understand that when you are praying, uh, prayer changes you before it changes what you want to change. The first thing, the first person that prayer affects or that prayer works on is you. And you must understand that the reason for prayers transcend beyond your needs alone. God, God manufactured prayer or God situated prayer as a means of interfacing with him. So now, every time you pray, God hears you. 
But then you may not know how God answers you. You may not know how God answers you. That may be where the problem is. And that is the reason why we must be very spiritually conscious, even when we are praying. Check the patriarchs of old. How did they pray? And how did their answers, how did their answer come? Now, Bible, no, now, Jesus Christ was teaching. He said, ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall and it shall open. Seek and it shall find. Those are different levels of prayer. Ask, it shall be given. Knock. You don't knock once. Even to enter a door. Even to enter a room. You don't knock until the person opens. I mean, you don't stop knocking until the person opens. And seek and it shall find. You don't seek once. Now, those are, these are talking about the different realms or the different dimensions to prayer. What you're asking for is about your needs. It's about your bread. It's about your, um, it's about bread, it's about your needs. God hears you. He hears you. And he answers you. Now, you must now be spiritually conscious to know how God answers you. You are praying, you are praying, you are, you are praying, you are praying, you are praying. Prayer is a, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. When you are praying about something, you need to pay attention. Pay attention because what God wants to do for you is beyond that your, is beyond that your particular need. Pay attention. Okay, as you are praying for this, what is God saying about it? Is he saying that, did he go to the place of prayer and then, and then God is saying that, all right, this is what you should pray for now. Or he's saying that, all right, go and do this. Because sometimes the answers of prayer comes, but it doesn't come like it. Sometimes the answers to your prayer may be instruction. I don't know if you understand that. There was a time that uh, Acts got sunk inside the well. They came to call, was it Elijah or Elisha? Elisha just, I think he poured uh, something on the well, and then the axe head floated. The answer to that prayer was an instruction. That's why we must be very spiritually conscious. Prayer is not an activity in the flesh. Prayer is a spiritual activity. There are many times that Jesus Christ, that he came to, that just says, did a lot of things, not just by praying alone. He did many things out of instruction. There was a time he wanted to open the blind of someone. He didn't just say, open the blind. He made uh, clay. I'm telling you that you must pay attention while you are praying because the answers, God always answers prayer. That's one thing I'm sure of. I mean, I'm so sure of, the, of what I'm saying. God answers prayers. But it might not come like the way a natural man or a carnal man views it. But God will answer you. So when you are praying, pay attention. What is God saying about it? Is God giving an, a particular instruction about it? Is God saying that, alright, go and give this. Alright, go and meet this person. Alright. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. So prayer is beyond just in a carnal activity. You must pay attention while you are praying. Because the answers to your prayer is in your prayers. As you are praying, it's laying something in your heart. It's telling you, it's giving you wisdom. Now you're asking God that God take me out of poverty, but then it's giving you an idea. That is, I mean, I mean, that is the answer. It's giving you an instruction. That is the answer. As you, as you obey the instruction, you will see the answer flows, flows in. It gives you an encounter. It gives you, it tells you to give someone, to give someone something, or, or it, it tells you to start, to start uh, something, or, or it gives you an idea. That is the answer to your prayer. If you're asking God for a million, it won't come down to give you a million. But if you pay attention, it will give you an idea that will generate millions. So it depends on what you're praying about. 
Not the answer to every prayer doesn't just come once. And there are some times that you will need to tarry because what you are waging against is, I mean, what you are waging with, for example, now, if you are praying about a particular uh, challenge in a family, now you must understand that that prayer, the circumstance behind that prayer is not just God. It, I mean, there might be other things around it. There may be strong good, covenant, I mean, demonic uh, patterns that has been consistent uh, for a while. There may be other things around it that is just beyond God answering alone. You must be, you must wage the war because the essence of prayer is not just. I mean, the essence of this kind of prayer is not just that God answers the prayer; is that you become a battle axe of the Lord. So, the, what you want God to do, He will energize you. He will equip you to get it done. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. So there are different realms, there are different dimensions to prayer. Now, Elijah, the Bible said that Elijah came and he said that, as the Lord lived before my son, there shall be no rain three and a half years. It was in the book of, it, is, it was in James, the Bible said that Elijah prayed earnestly that there be no rain. That kind of prayer is not just a one-time prayer. The Bible said that he prayed earnestly. How did Abraham prayed when he was praying concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. So that for you to know that prayer is not just a, it's not just about God answering a no. There are, there are a lot of circumstances that are inside or, or that are parts of some kind of prayers. So, and that's why Jesus Christ said, ask, knock, seek. Even when Jesus was at the, when Jesus was, was about to die, there was a kind of prayer he was praying. He was praying for long. The Bible said that his sweat became blood. How did Abraham pray for Sodom and Gomorrah? He prayed again, he prayed again, he prayed again, he prayed again. How did Elijah brought down the rain again? He prayed, I think, about seven times. He was telling his servant to go and check. So those are intelligence in prayer. But then you cannot come into it. This intelligence is not just what you teach in a manual. There are something that you come into. There are some times that you are praying, and then God is giving you an instruction that, all right, add the fasting to it. All right, go on a, I mean, make it three days. All right, do more. As you, as you want to pray, I mean, you finish the, the, the 10 minutes prayer, God is teaching you again that, go further, go further. Because for this prayer, there are many things you want to wage against. I'm making you a battle as to bring the answers to this prayer. A pattern that has continued in the family for 10, for 10 generations. It's in, it is not the five minutes prayer that will stop it. God will make you a battle as that will stop that stuff. So that's why you must, you must know that the intelligence to prayer is just is beyond uh, God give me bread. And then you see bread disappear to your room. No. So prayer is a spiritual activity and you can't fully maximize the, 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 the product of prayer if you are not spiritually conscious while you are praying. How did, how did Daniel pray? Daniel prayed for 21 days. In fact, the answer of, you would have known that God has answered them. The answer to his prayer has come already. It has been delivered. But then the prince of Persia held up the prayer in the heavens. If you read the book of Daniel, you will see that there. It was after he prayed for, it was after he finished prayer, after, after 21 days, his prayer was to energize the angelic captivity. And then the answer to his prayer was delivered to him. There are some times that your, the answer to your prayer has already left God. Now it is in your hands to wage war against what might have been injuring it, or to wage war in getting the instruction to Man, to bring the answer to manifestation. So just know that you are in the business too with God. You are a co, you are a co, you are, you are a 
co-worker when it comes to bringing the manifestation of your prayer. But I'm telling you, God hears you. The moment you say it, God hears you. And if you pay attention well, you will know where the answer to your prayer is. You will know if you are to tarry longer. You will know if you are to be an instruction. You will know if you are to yield to something. So prayer is not an activity in the flesh. But know that every time you pray, God hears you. Anytime you pray, God hears you. And we must, we must learn to pray until victory. Hmm? Until victory is, is gotten. Don't give up. If you give up, <laughs> uh, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. Pray, on, pray until something happens. Yes. We must, we, must, we, must, we must receive stamina, stature, to stay in the place of prayer until victory is gotten. That's how to pray. We don't pray until we are tired. We pray until what you are praying for comes. And there are some kind of prayer that you pray that are for your selfish reason, that God will not answer, or it will delay it until when the time comes. But when you know that this thing is not the will of God, this is devil walking, then you must pray until the hand of darkness is broken away from it. That's how we pray. We don't pray, we don't get tired. I mean, when we are tired, we rest, we go back to it until the victory is gotten. So, auntie or brothers, don't get tired. Don't get weary. Yes. That the fact that the fact that you are burdened about it, the victory is in your hands. If you stay longer, if you stay longer, devil himself will turn back. So you must understand that there are levels of prayer. The, prayer, the problem has never been God. God doesn't have a problem here. The problem has never been God. God will answer your prayers. But then there are other things that you will need to wage war against. You need to stay. You need to stand. Yes. And there are some other things that God will not have you get if you ask out of your lust. So there are different dimensions to prayer. And that is why the answer to this your question cannot just be one. Because the prayer is deep, is deep, is deep, is deep. Even if you check, um, if you check the parable of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 18, he said men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he gave a parable. He said that there was a man or there was a widow that went to a man, a man that doesn't fear God, that doesn't do this. But because of the importunity of that woman, that woman was asking again and again. Because of the importunity of that woman. Because now, that judge, the Bible is now, is now telling that prayer is a legalistic activity. is a, a legal activity in the spirit. So there are some times that what you are waging against is a, is a, is a priest that doesn't even fear God. And doesn't even fear man. But if you stay long, devil himself will turn back. He will give up. So because that man eventually gave up, that judge eventually gave up because of the importunity of that woman. Just as he's telling you the, another dimension to prayer. What if the woman gave up? So, so, so a number of times we give up too early. Especially when it involves things that we need to wage war beyond just God alone. Maybe there are other things that are around it. There are other forces around it. Trust me, it is not a, it is not a two minutes prayer. So if the problem has never been God. Has, it has never been God. It has never been God. The problem has never been God. It has, it has always been maybe in our lack of spiritual intelligence because it, this thing now that I'm, talk, that I'm talking about, it takes spiritual intelligence to be able to discern what and how about this prayer. What is left about this prayer? What is happening about this prayer? I mean, you should be able to decode. Where, this is my prayer that I'm praying. Where is it on the reader? What else should I do? I mean, you, all these things come to you in the place of prayer. You can have a dream. You can have an encounter. And God can equip you with wisdom on how to go about this. But the problem has never been God. The problem can only be 
our lack of spiritual intelligence. But God answers prayer. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've seen death turn back. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much. Um, the question is, why does it take long before God answers our prayers? There are times we give up trusting him because of what we are going through. Yet, it doesn't still seem to reach out that he listens. Now, there are fundamentals that I want to, to mention now. Number one, God hears you every time. Every time you speak, God hears you. Even when you don't pray, God, for, God ever hears you. God ever hears your prayer. God ever hears your prayer. Every time you pray, God ever hears your prayer. But then there are many factors that affect the delivery of prayers. And that is what I'll be mentioning right now. And the second thing you must also understand is that God is, a, is, is an ever-loving God. He's an ever-loving God. He's an ever-loving God. And you must also understand that when you are praying, uh, prayer changes you before it changes what you want to change. The first thing, the first person that prayer affects or that prayer works on is you. And you must understand that the reason for prayers transcend beyond your needs alone. God, God manufactured prayer or God situated prayer as a means of interfacing with him. So now, every time you pray, God hears you. But then you may not know how God answers you. You may not know how God answers you. That may be where the problem is. And that is the reason why we must be very spiritually conscious, even when we are praying. Check the patriarchs of old. How did they pray? And how did their answers, how did their answer come? Now, Bible, no, now, Jesus Christ was teaching. He said, ask, and it shall be given. Knock, and it shall, and it shall open. Seek, and it shall find. Those are different levels of prayer. Ask, it shall be given. Knock. You don't knock once. Even to enter a door. Even to enter a room. You don't knock until the person opens. I mean, you don't stop knocking until the person opens. And seek and you shall find. You don't seek once. Now, those are, these are talking about the different realms or the different dimensions to prayer. What you're asking for is about your needs. It's about your bread. It's about your uh, it's about bread. It's about your needs. God hears you. He hears you. And he answers you. Now, you must now be spiritually conscious to know how God answers you. You are praying, you are praying, you are, you are praying, you are praying, you are praying. Prayer is a, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. When you are praying about something, you need to pay attention. Pay attention because what God wants to do for you is beyond that your, is beyond that your particular need. Pay attention. Okay, as you are praying for this, what is God saying about it? Is he saying that, did he go to the place of prayer and then, and then God is saying that, all right, this is what you should pray for now. Or he's saying that, all right, go and do this. Because sometimes the answers of prayer comes, but it doesn't come like it. Sometimes the answers to your prayer may be instruction. I don't know if you understand that. There was a time that uh, Acts got sunk inside the well. They came to call, was it Elijah or Elisha? Elisha just, I think he poured uh, something on the well. And then the axe head floated. The answer to that prayer was an instruction. That's why we must be very spiritually conscious. Prayer is not an activity in the flesh. Prayer is a spiritual activity. There are many times that Jesus Christ, that he came to, now Jesus Christ did a lot of things, not just by praying alone. He did many things out of instruction. There was a time he wanted to 
open the blind of someone. He didn't just say open the blind. He made uh, clay. I'm telling you that you must pay attention while you are praying because the answers, God always answers prayer. That's one thing I'm sure of. I mean, I'm so sure of, that, of what I'm saying. God answers prayers. But it might not come like the way a natural man or a kind of man views it. But God will answer you. So when you are praying, pay attention. What is God saying about it? Is God giving an, a particular instruction about it? Is God saying that, all right, go and give this. All right, go and meet this person. All right. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. So prayer is beyond just a, a carnal activity. You must pay attention while you are praying. Because the answers to your prayer is in your prayers. As you are praying, it's laying something in your heart. It's telling you, it's giving you wisdom. Now you're asking God that God take me out of poverty. But then it's giving you an idea. That's, I mean, I mean, that is the answer. It's giving you an instruction. That is the answer. As you, as you obey the instruction, you will see the answer flows, flows in. It gives an encounter. It gives you, it tells you to give someone, to give someone something. Or, or it, it tells you to start, to start uh, something. Or, or it gives you an idea. That is the answer to your prayer. If you're asking God for a million, it won't come down to give you a million. But if you pay attention, it will give you an idea that will generate millions. So it depends on what you're praying about. Not the answer to every prayer doesn't just come once. And there are some times that you will need to tarry. Because what you are waging against is, I mean, what you are waging with, for example, now, if you are praying about a particular uh, challenge in a family, now, you must understand that that prayer the circumstance behind that prayer is not just God. It, I mean, there might be other things around it. There may be strong good, covenant, I mean, demonic uh, patterns that have been consistent uh, for a while. There may be other things around it that is just beyond God answering alone. You must, be, you must wage the war because the essence of prayer is not just, I mean, the essence of this kind of prayer is not just that God answers the prayer, is that you become a battle axe of the Lord. So, the, what you want God to do, He will energize you, He will equip you to get it done. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. So, there are different realms, there are different dimensions to prayer. Now, Elijah, the Bible said that Elijah came and he said that, as the Lord lived before my son, there shall be no rain, three and a half years. It was in the book of, it, is, it was in James. The Bible said that Elijah prayed earnestly that there be no rain. That kind of prayer is not just a one-time prayer. The Bible said that he prayed earnestly. How did Abraham pray when he was praying concerning Sodom and Gomorrah? So that for you to know that prayer is not just, a, it's not just about God answering a no. There are, there are a lot of circumstances that are inside or, or that are parts of some kind of prayers. So, and that's why Jesus Christ said, ask, knock, seek. Even when Jesus was the, when Jesus was about to die, there was a kind of prayer he was praying. He was praying for long. The Bible said that his sweat became blood. How did Abraham pray for Sodom and Gomorrah? He prayed again, he prayed again, he prayed again, he prayed again. How did Elijah brought down the rain again? He prayed, I think, about seven times. He was telling his servant to go and check. So those are intelligence in prayer. But then you cannot come into it. This intelligence is not just what you teach in the manual. There are something that you come into. There are some times that you are praying, and then God is giving you an instruction that, all right, add the fasting to it. All right, go on a, I mean, 
Make it three days. All right. Do more. As you, as you want to pray, I mean, you finish the, the, the 10 minutes prayer. God is teaching you again that go further. Go further. Because for this prayer, there are many things you want to wage against. I'm making you a battle as to bring the answers to this prayer. A pattern that has continued in the family for 10, for 10 generations. It's in, it is not the five minutes prayer that will stop it. God will make you a battle as that will stop that stuff. So that's why you must, you must know that the intelligence to prayer is just is beyond uh, God give me bread. And then you see bread disappear to your room. No. So prayer is a spiritual activity and you can't fully maximize the 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 product of prayer if you are not spiritually conscious while you are praying how did how did daniel pray daniel prayed for 21 days in fact the answer of you would have known that god has answered them the answer to his prayer has come already it has been delivered but then the prince of Persia held up the prayer in the heavens if you read the book of Daniel, you will see that there. It was after he prayed for, it was after he finished prayer, after, after 21 days. His prayer was to energize the angelic captivity. And then the answer to his prayer was delivered to him. There are some times that the, the answer to your prayer has already left God. Now it is in your hands to wage war against what might have been injuring it. Or to wage war in getting the instruction to Man, to bring the answer to manifestation. So just know that you are in the business too with God. You are a co, you are a co, you are, you are a co-worker when it comes to bringing the manifestation of your prayer. But I'm telling you, God hears you. The moment you say it, God hears you. And if you pay attention well, you will know where the answer to your prayer is. You will know if you are to tarry longer. You will know if you are to be an instruction. You will know if you are to yield to something. So prayer is not an activity in the flesh. But know that every time you pray, God hears you. Anytime you pray, God hears you. And we must, we must learn to pray until victory. Hmm? Until victory is, is gotten. Don't give up. If you give up, <laughs> uh, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. Pray until, pray until something happens. Yes. We must, we must, we must, we must receive stamina, stature, to stay in the place of prayer until victory is gotten. That's how to pray. We don't pray until we are tired. We pray until what you are praying for comes. And there are some kind of prayer that you pray that are for your selfish reason that God will not answer, or it will delay it until when the time comes. But when you know that this thing is not the will of God, this is devil working, then you must pray until the hand of darkness is broken away from it. That's how we pray. We don't pray. We don't get tired. I mean, when we are tired, we rest. We go back to it until the victory is gotten. So, auntie or brothers, don't get tired. Don't get weary. Yes. That the, fact that, the fact that you are burdened about it, the victory is in your hands. If you stay longer, if you stay longer, devil himself will turn back. So, you must understand that there are levels of prayer. The, pray, the problem has never been God. God doesn't have a problem here. The problem has never been God. God will answer your prayers. But then there are other things that you will need to wage war against. You need to stay. You need to stand. Yes. And there are some other things that God will not have you get if you ask out of your lust. So there are different dimensions to prayer. And that is why the answer to this your question cannot just be one. Because the prayer is deep. It's deep. It's deep. It's deep. Even if you check 
um, if you check the parable of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 18, he said men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he gave a parable. He said that there was a man or there was a widow that went to a man, a man that doesn't fear God, that doesn't do this. But because of the importunity of that woman, that woman was asking again and again. Because of the importunity of that woman. Because now, that judge, the Bible is now, is now telling that prayer is a legalistic activity. It's a, it's a legal activity in the spirit. So there are sometimes that what you are waging against is a, is, a, is a priest that doesn't even fear God. And doesn't even fear man. But if you stay long, devil himself will turn back. He will give up. So because that man eventually gave up, that judge eventually gave up because of the importunity of that woman. Just as he's telling you the, another dimension to prayer. What if the woman gave up? So, so, so a number of times we give up too early. Especially when it involves things that we need to wage war beyond just God alone. Maybe there are other things that are around it. There are other forces around it. Trust me, it is not a, it is not a two minutes prayer. So the problem has never been God. It never been God. It has never been God. The problem has never been God. It has, it has always been maybe in our lack of spiritual intelligence. Because this thing now that I'm, talk, that I'm talking about, it takes spiritual intelligence to be able to discern what and how about this prayer. What is left about this prayer? What is happening about this prayer? I mean, you should be able to decode. Where, this is my prayer that I'm praying. Where is it on the reader? What else should I do? I mean, you, all these things come to you in the place of prayer. You can have a dream. You can have an encounter. And God can equip you with wisdom on how to go about this. But the problem has never been God. The problem can only be our lack of spiritual intelligence. But God answers prayer. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've seen death turn back. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Thank you very much. All right, so good day to you. Um, now, in answering this question, as a Christian, I'm struggling with the lust of the flesh. What can I do? You're struggling with the lust of the flesh. What can you do? All right, so uh, number one, Bible said in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I, I, therefore, beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wars against your soul. Now, if you are struggling with lust as a believer, and if you can be very sincere with yourself, you know how it started. You know the door was opened or how it started. That's the same way you have to abstain. Now, lust of the flesh, what, what does that mean? Is it lust, basically? Is it uh, masturbation? I mean, whatever case it is, number one, watch your impute channel or watch your gates. When I mean your gates, I mean your ear gates, your sight gate, which is your eyes, your ear, because those are the major way through which uh, thoughts infuse into our mind and then they become lost when we nurture them. You see, right? Matters of sin is not just basically in devil's hand. A lost percentage of sin acts depends on us too. Because Bible said that God doesn't tempt anyone with sin. Neither is it, neither can he be tempted. But everyone is everyone like Every man's sin, when he's drawn by his own lusts. So that means it takes 
your own lust for you to be drawn. It takes your own lust for you to be drawn. So number one, abstain from your from everything that was against you. So you know the things that was against you. So you see, right? Uh, Russia was saying that when he see people that are struggling, one of the first things he tells them is to shut down their social media engagement. Shut it down totally. You discover that many of the things that you suffer from, they are the product of what you listen to or what you hear. Now, you've got to be very intentional. I mean, you've got to be really, really, really disciplined and intentional about this. But then before then, I would like to say that uh, one of the major things that will really help you is to set your affection. Set your affection. I would say that set your affection above. That is one thing that will really that you need to that will help you. Not just about abstaining, but setting your affection. Now, when Bible was saying that looking unto Jesus, the author friendship of your faith, actually in the in the in the in the real rendition, it means looking away to Jesus. Looking away now unto Jesus. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Looking away. Then looking unto Jesus. So that is the same way you will have to set your affection. What are your affection right now? Because you, see, you know something, you can't just abstain from lust. When you are abstaining from lust, you are actually abstaining to God. So in 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 shifting your affection to God, you are abstaining from lust. So now you've got to shift your attention, your affection. You have to shift it on God, on heaven, on things that matters. When I mean on God, on heaven, on your spiritual engagement, on your work with God, on things that feed your spirit, on things that cause your growth, on things that makes you love God, on things that has to do with kingdom engagement, spiritual engagement, fellowshipping with brethren, encounters, studying of the world, deepening yourself into the world. Praying, listening to messages, fortifying your spirit, listening to chants, listening to, I mean, really, real, high-core spiritual engagement. That's what you will need. You see, now, this are the, this, this are the, or this is the process by which you focus, or you shift your attention, or you shift your gaze to Jesus. Because, you know something, you can't be free by just looking away from, from the source of lust then you have to look up to Jesus too. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So, your freedom is naturally looking up to Jesus. Your freedom is naturally looking up to Jesus. Your freedom is actually in setting your affection on Jesus. Setting your affection on Jesus in deep spiritual engagement, which, which can be deepening yourself in the world to get the light, revelation of the world, renewing your mind through the world, praying, and then receiving light, then I mean, receiving light from the Lord in prayers, reading your mind, getting listening to messages. Usually, you can listen to messages on Puritans. You can listen to Puritans or to uh, to ministers that are that are really Puritans. Yes, that are really Puritans. If you don't know some, I can recommend Babagbele Akoni to you. I can recommend Kumui to you. I can recommend Arimelsai to you and some other ministers, then dip yourself into brethren, into brethren, I mean, into fellowship with brethren. Everything that will cause you to set your affection on, in God, if you can, get yourself to a retreat. Yes, 
You see, I've once been in this position before. I'm telling the truth. I was, I was on a retreat. I was on a retreat for one week. You know something? When I returned, right, it was like a different me that came out because all through the retreat, the retreats were not used, we, we, not, we, we were not allowed to use phone at all. At all. So we were not allowed to use phone. In fact, I didn't even go with my phone at all. So all we were doing throughout the seven days was real spiritual engagement, prayer, fasting, word. I mean, you can't be in that kind of atmosphere. And I, if you live that kind of if you live that kind of atmosphere, you're already a changed man already. If you actually go through that process, so what is actually affecting you, or what affected you before, is that you actually shifted your affection away from Jesus. Then you allowed some other things to creep into it. Your love, your devotion, your consecration, your discipline of the Spirit. You shifted your affection from those things. And then you allowed the lust of the flesh to creep in. And that is still the way you've got to allow them to creep out. That is by upsetting your affection on God, on heavenly things, on things that matters, on things of God. Not on physical things, but on spiritual things. Set your affection on those things. By the time you are setting affection on those, you now discover, you see, right? A man is not created to be vacant. It's either God is filling you or the lost or devil is filling you through his lusts. So that's why I'm saying that you are not just trying to empty yourself of lust. You are actually filling up yourself with God. So while you are looking away from the world, you are looking up to Jesus. While you are sitting, while you are Removing your gaze from the lust of the flesh. Now you are not setting your eyes on Jesus. You are now being renewed. You are now getting transformed. You are now, you are now, you are not getting transformed. You are not getting. I mean, you are not getting the disciplines of the spirit. Now God is now giving you instructions. Shut this thing down. Be disciplined with this. Don't do this. This is what to do. I mean, God is now renewing your mind. At the, I mean, at a point, God, I mean, if you really give yourself to this, God, God can actually remove that appetite away from your heart totally. Do you understand that? But you need to give yourself to the Lord in prayers, in word, in fasting. I mean, in all this which you engage in unions. And everything that will cause you the love and your passion and the fire of the Lord to burn in your vessel. And that is how the works of the flesh to be burn off. So, then when you now do this, then you've got now, you now have to be very intentional by in guarding your gates. It's not every movie that you should watch. It's not every skit, every, it's not every comedy skit that is yours. It's not every point, it's not every picture that you should see. I mean, you've got to now be very intentional, very disciplined in keeping your gates. Yes, as a spiritual man, your sight, your ears are very, very important. You can't joke with them. And if you listen to hip-hop or to songs or to, or to erotic music or to books that sponsor this, you've got to throw them and burn them off. And if you have friends that, that are hardened to the problem, you've got to throw them away and really take your journey in God serious. Looking up to Jesus, setting your affection on Jesus. I'm telling you, that is where your victory is. I don't know if you understand that. Thank you very much. In case you do not, in case you have other questions, you can also reach us back. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, so I'll be answering this question from Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, which says that, 
lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, the question goes thus, as a Christian, how can I know the deceit and plan of the devil? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And how can I stand strong against him? The question is in two parts. Number one, as a Christian, how can I know the deceit and plans of the devil? How can you know the deceit and plan of the devil? All right. So the way, the primary way of knowing the plans and deceit of the devil, number one, is to be schooled by scripture. The Bible said that from a childhood, I've been, uh, I think it was Timothy that was saying that, that he was talking about studying the scripture to being wise unto salvation. The knowledge, the proper understanding of the scripture actually makes you wise in spirit, in the understanding of spiritual things. And when we say spiritual things, that doesn't mean just God things alone. It also talks about the activities of other spiritual entities. So, number one, one of the ways to be schooled in the understanding of the nature of God is through the scripture. And if you know the nature of God, then you can also know the nature of devil. Because the nature of God um, schools you in what God can do, in, in the doings of God. I know that any doings or any workings that is opposite the workings of God is sponsored by devil. So what I'm saying in essence is that one of the first ways to be schooled or to be wise in understanding the workings or the movements or the strategies of the devil is through the scripture. What am I saying by through the scripture? Number one, by the time you read through the scripture, you will see number of times where the workings of devil were described, were mentioned. How devil afflicted Job. How devil stand in the court against a priest in the Old Testament. I think Zechariah or something. Now you can so you can see that you can also and this, the scripture apparently shows you the nature of God, the nature of God. And once ever and, and wherever and wherever you see a workings in your life. Or that is coming, that is forthcoming, that stands against the nature of God. It's obviously the workings of devil. So the first way to be to be to be wise is to be schooled in the scripture. To be schooled in the scripture gives you the uh, gives you the primary nature of the workings of God, and you can also differentiate it from the workings of devil. So it gives you the basic understanding what it could be. Barrenness is not of God. It is it is obvious. Blindness is not of God. It is obvious. Uh, oppression is not of God. It is obvious. Now, those are the knowledge that are gotten through the scripture on how to recognize, on how to know the deceit and the plans of the devil. Second way of knowing the deceits and plans of the devil, right, is to be schooled by the spirit. It's true spiritual sensitivity. It's to be schooled by the spirit. It's to be schooled by the spirit. And that is why uh, for a believer, a life of prayer, a life of the word, and a life of fasting cannot be overemphasized because there are many things that are not that are not detailed in the scripture, but that you will know it by the spirit. You will know it by your spiritual senses, and this doesn't uh, this doesn't occur in just a way or in just a manner, but by the spirit you will know it when there's an oppression that is coming. When that, I mean that's how you will know the deceits and the plants of the devil. You will know it in your spirit. You will know it in your spirit. You will know it in your spirit. Somehow, somehow, you will sense it. Somehow, somehow, you will sense the energy. It can be through dream. It, it can be through dream. It can be through a knowing. It can be through a feeling. It can be just from your inside. You just know that this is not God. It can be through visions. God can show you. But right in your spirit, you will know it. 
So those are the ways of knowing the deceit and the plans of the devil. Number one, you know him through, through you know him through his intrinsic nature. His intrinsic nature is to kill, is to steal, and is to destroy. Anything, most the the workings of devil are in those three folds. They are in those three compartments. They are they are they are covered within those three activities to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So whatever looks like that is not of God, obviously. So then you can so as a Christian, how can I know the deceits and plans of the devil? So with this basic understanding of the scripture, then you can now you can now be you should now be very spiritually sensitive to know what the devil is doing. You cannot in fact as a matter of truth, as a believer, right? If things meet you suddenly, it shows that you are not actually very spiritually sensitive. Because nothing should happen to a believer suddenly. Nothing should happen to a believer without his foreknowledge. Nothing should happen to a believer. I mean, just like that, you've got to be very spiritually sensitive. I don't know if you understand that. You've got to be spiritually sensitive to know, all right, this, I'm, I'm, I mean, somehow, somehow, you can just wake up in a day and then you just feel something in your spirit. Ah, I perceive something. I perceive something that is not good enough. That's in the atmosphere. And what do you do? You pray in tongues. You pray. Maybe you can't discern it. Maybe you can't decode it. Maybe you don't know what it is exactly. Start praying in tongues. Start praying. Start praying. Start praying. Now, there are two things. Now, because you're speaking mystery, because as you're praying in tongues, you're speaking mystery, the knowledge of what you're you are praying can be downloaded in your spirit, and then you can now know it by knowledge. That's why the Bible said that. I will pray in the spirit. I will pray to understand it. Praying in the spirit actually brings you into the spiritual atmosphere where, the, in, where what you're praying into can be interpreted and can be and you can receive the feedback in your spirit. Right there, you can now start prosecuting it in understanding. Praying the spirit actually brings you into the place of spiritual knowledge where you can now start prosecuting what you're praying about in understanding. I don't know if you I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. You pray, you pray. Now, these are these are some of the places where uh knowing how spiritual communication works, this is where it, I mean this is where it is very, very important because you know that. We should not, uh, 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 and, and, and that's what the Bible says, we should not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. So, as you pray, as you pray, as you pray, you receive interpretations, or you receive a, a leading, or you receive a scripture, or you receive a direction in your prayer, in, 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 in your prayer persecution. So, as you pray, you know, you know what you're praying about. If you need to decree, you decree. If you need to pray, if you need to pray longer, you pray longer. If you need to add a fast, you add a fast. If you need to quote a scripture, you quote a scripture. If you need to profess and confess a, a, a scriptural confession, you do it. But then by all means, you have the capacity to reverse what is about to happen. You don't wait for it to happen before you do before you come against it. Yes. But with spiritual sensitivity, you can know when an evil wind is coming. You can know when something that is not good is coming. You can you can prepare the ground and send forth prayer to prepare the ground for you. Because now your spiritual your, your spiritual antenna is active. It can pick information. So this is where growth in the spirit comes in. So how can you stand strong against them? Bible said that if you if you if you fail if you fail on the days of battle, then your strength is weak. The best way to prepare for battle is to start living like a warrior to start living like a warrior. You, you, you don't have to wait for the day of the battle to start preparing. Start energizing. You you discover that adding battle will become or adding the devices of the devil or turning 
them around. Now, your question is actually multifaceted. It could be anything. It could be it could be interpreted to be territorial. It could be personal. It could be family. It could be on a. It could be on, on any note. The divine the workings of devil. I mean, the Bible said that devil walks to and fro down the head. That walking is not. It's not it's not a aimless walking. It's a is a is a priesthood walking called Allah. It's actually working to cause to destroy stuff. So the workings of devil cannot be cannot be caged just in your personal life. So that's why I don't I really will not give a direct answer to your question. But then I'm I'm giving a broad answer to it because the workings of devil is not just a one way thing. So in whatever way you whatever way that you mean, this this way answer it. So one way of one way of standing strong against him, number one, is to first know your sitting posture in Christ. Know that you are an overcomer. You, you are fighting. If you if you if you're working against the devices of the enemy, you are doing that from the place of rest. You are doing that from a place of victory. You are doing that from from a place of overcomer. You are doing that because you've already won the battle. Because the battle has been won and the victory has been given to us. So understand your sitting posture as a blessed man. Number two, understand your walking posture. That is walking in righteousness. Walking it. Because the truth is that the evil you do not bring upon yourself, right? It's very easy to handle. When a, when a person is walking intentionally in sin, um, the devil has already won. And let me tell you the truth. Uh, whatever devices of the devil that doesn't take prayer away from you, right? You are still on the right track. Whatever devil is doing, make sure that prayer doesn't go because most times, the devices of the enemy uh, are not easily uh, uh, devices of the enemy sometimes, we don't really know them because sometimes they look minute. When prayer, when we lose prayer, when we lose the word, when we lose conviction, when we lose faith, even when we are not sick, right? Those things are more of an attack. Those things are devices of the enemy because they've now, they've now, they've now, they've now attack your real core value as a believer. And whatever devil do to take those things away from you, it can actually wreck you eventually. So sometimes you can know that this is devil. Now, by the spirit, I knew that around last year, around two years ago, devil had a five years plan for me to take me away from the fold. I'll be dying. I knew, I knew it by the spirit. And then I knew the precedence of the, of the inaccuracies that were happening in my life. So how did I, I knew that by the spirit. And I knew that this is what devil does. Do you understand that? So you, so your knowledge is by the scripture and then by the spirit, and then you stand strong in preparation. You stand strong as living as a warrior, normal, prepare a prepared vessel as a warrior, and that is by understanding your seated position as a blessed man, understanding your working position. That is your 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 working in the light of who you are in Christ and working as with the prescription of the word of God for your life. That is working in righteousness working as a believer and then understand your standing posture and that's and, and that you'll find in Ephesians where I was talking about having the shield of faith that has been 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 armored by the word of the Lord. I mean so if if you live a normal spiritual life, a normal Christian life, right? Battle or understanding the devices of the enemy will not be strange. I mean it should be something that you can easily walk over. So the Bible said that less Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. So by living a normal Christian life, when I mean a normal Christian life, I actually mean the normal one, not the abnormal one that people call normal. I'm talking about the normal Christian life, which is fortified in the word, in prayer, in fasting, just as a normal life, right? If you live this, right, number one, it's very easy for you to dictate or to know the, the devices or the tricks of the enemy. And then number two, it's easy for you to uh, reverse it, turn it off, and then you consistently become 
uh, a victor by Christ who strengthens you. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Thank you very much. I'll be answering this question. As a Christian thing, I'm indecisive in choosing someone I like. What do I do? As a Christian thing, as a teenager, I'm indecisive in choosing someone I like. What do I do? All right. So the truth of it is that at this point of your life, you still, you are not sure of who you like. Yes, you are not sure of who you like because you are still at a very formative level of your life. Very formative level where you are just forming your belief system. You're just forming, you're just getting to form your your thought pattern, your, your skill of preference. This is not a time to make eternal decisions. I mean, this is not, to, this is not the time to make long-term decisions, especially when it comes to Decisions that involves another person. You will discover that many decisions that people made when they were in teenage age, many of them, when they could not, I mean, a few years after, they could not stand through to those decisions. For example, now, while you were in primary school, when you were in, in secondary school, you decided that you want to be a medical doctor. You eventually dis- discover that 10 years down the line, you found another interest that you will forgo. Even if they give you medical doctor for free, you may not be able to do I'm just telling you that at this point of your life, this is a formative level, and this is not the best time to. This is not the best time for you to know what will stand true to you, especially when it comes to something that involves another person. So, in essence, this is not the time to choose someone you like. Yes, what you need at this time as a teenager is a true friend. You need a friend. You need friends, not a friend that you seek for. A friend. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of friend that life will bring you people together because of your mutual value system, because of your mutual interests. And this, are, this is not the kind of friend that you think that it is forever too, because uh, another it says that 20 friends cannot rule for 20 years. So what you need this time, it's friendship. It's true friendship. It's pure friendship. It is profitable friendship. It is a mutual friendship, not relationship. Not someone you like, not something emotional. You need to, you need to be. Fo- this is the time to be focused. This is the time to. Now, this is the time to be focused. This is the time to move forward in life because there are a lot of things that are attached to relationship that you do not that you are not aware of right now. And this is not the time to be distracted. This is not the time to go on with emotional baggages because right now the truth of it is that you've not had your value system formed already. Grow up a bit, achieve something, achieve, achieve some stuff. When you get to a level, even your guts will let you know. I mean, when I mean your guts now, I mean your the innermost being will let you know when you are in a relationship. And at most, this question is coming from a Christian sin, right? At the time will come, it will be God Himself that will call your attention to a relationship. Yes. It will be it will, a time will come because you see, the Bible said that secret is the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and every other shall be added. Your relationship, your marital relationship, is part of the other things that will be added. Because you see, it is like a time came in my life that it was my dad himself that called me and said that what's up about relationship? That is also our this that's also the way of relationship with Jesus. Because as I joined, there was a I mean, there were a number of years he never caught my attention to stuff like that. Because it was just about this and that and that. But then the time came, it was only that called my attention to that. The same thing to 
our work with God. Just keep working with God. Just keep working with God. Just keep pushing God. Forget relationship for now. A time will come. God Himself, will, you will you will start mounting up in prayers, and then relationship will be what God will be communicating with you. Because it's not you know that there are sometimes that you will think that things like relationship are carnal. They are not carnal. They are part of the packages that are in our work with God, that are in our pursuit with God. A time comes that in your pursuit with God, God Himself will call your attention to it and say. Come, let me talk to you about relationship. Let me teach you about relationship. Let me now tell you what you will see. It will be God himself that will, that will start giving, that will start laying these stuff in your mind, in your heart, that this is how you will know. The same way John knew that upon whom that he will, I mean, John the Baptist knew that upon whom he will baptize, and then upon whom the spirits will rest upon, the dove rest upon. That is the one that is to come, that he was the forerunner to. That is the same way you will also know. God will start explaining some specs in your mind when i mean specs i don't now mean spirit, uh, physical specs alone i mean i don't mean physical specs in in particular as a trait but god will start laying upon your heart that this is how this person will look this is how this person will this is this is the kind of person that you can roll with this is the kind of person that will make it to your future this is the kind of person that will align with your destiny because you see this is not a this is not a playful affair relationship is not a playful affair it is a long long it is a long-term affair it is a purposeful affair it is a it is it is it is a future affair i mean it is a it is a life affair I don't know if you understand that. So you don't want to joke with that. You don't want to play around with that. You don't want to, I mean, you don't want to make costly mistakes with that. You don't want to go, I mean, you don't want to lose focus. You don't want to lose alignment. You don't want to, I mean, you don't want to go on with emotional baggages. You still have more years. I mean, this is still the prime of your life. This is a time where your energy is still, I mean, you're still up and running. You still want to achieve. I mean, you still want to, you can't, you should read. This is the time to press into God. This is the time to focus on your career. This is the time to, this is the time to gain Ah, focus, alignment, direction. These are the things that you need. Because right now, right, you will discover, you discover that the, the people that look good to you right now, 10 years down the line, 5 years down, I mean, don't let me just say 10 years, 5 years down the line, you will discover that they are not the people that you need. Because eventually, you eventually your value system must have been formed. Right? Yes. It's not every, oh my God. There are some people that, right now, they are not in Nigeria again. Meanwhile, five years ago, they never thought that they would ever leave Nigeria. Now, if they had married, if they had gotten into a relationship with someone that doesn't even have a plan to leave Nigeria, I don't know how they would have coped. I'm saying that this is, I'm saying that you don't know so much about your life for now. You've not formed a lot of things that you need to know to, that will help you to know. Because if you've not discovered yourself, you can't discover the person that is right for you. So the first thing, so forget about relationship for now. Just enjoy friendship. It is friendship that you need. Because, you see, just say something. Relationship is a natural offshoot of, of, rich, of rich friendship. So you don't need relationship right now. Relation, I mean, relation, uh, relationship is a natural offshoot of friendship. So, I mean, I miss your friends. Eventually, eventually, when the time comes, you know the, you know the kind of person you can marry. I miss them. But right now, you need rich friends. You need purposeful friends. You need, I mean, just be free. Just go, I mean, just go along loving Jesus and pursuing the, your career alongside with the will of God for your life and pursuing purpose. Discover yourself. Discover your interest. I mean, channel your energy. Make progress. Eventually, along the line, you will start seeing in the real light of who you need for your life. The person that will suit you. The person that suits your kind of future. The person that will suit the purpose of God for your life. So, but then, these are not the things that you have in details right now. The reason why you don't know this 
right now is because you actually do not have not discovered fully about yourself and it's not bad you're still very young you can't have everything figured out right now but then just grow 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 most i mean grow some more at a point you will not discover that all right this is the kind of person that i need this is the kind of person god himself will lay some things in your in your heart you will know it yourself you will know it you will not in fact there are sometimes that you see some people where you discover that no this one cannot be because this doesn't align with what is in my spirit with what is in my mind do you understand that yes Johnny, Johnny, I mean, Johnny Father, eventually you will start discovering who you can align with, who you can work with. But right now, just keep friendship, keep pure friendship, don't relationship in mind. But then, two years down the line, three years down the line, four years down the line, you cannot that, okay. She just said something, the truth of it is that it is actually very burdensome to carry relationship for many years. That's the truth. That's the truth. You see, um, on an average note, right, one year courtship, six months, one year courtship, is okay, right, to enter marriage. Imagine now getting internship now, and you are not planning to get married in the next three, four years. I mean, what do you want to be doing? And the probability that it will stay longer than that, it will stay as as long as that, is very minimal because you are not the one in control. This is between two people. Even if you are interested, you are not sure the person is as interested as you for yourself. I don't know if you understand that. So keep growing, enjoy friendship. A time will come, you will, you'd have formed, you'd have had your mindset, your, you'd have discovered yourself, then in your own discovery of yourself, you'll now know the kind of people that you that you will align with. I don't even understand. Even on even on doctrinal basis right now, you are not sure of the full doctrine of the full teachings of Christ that you that you will sustain in the next five years. Yes. I don't know if you understand that. So grow up more. But then you get to a level, number one, God will start telling you about, God will start teaching about relationship. God will start calling your attention to it. Number two, you yourself would have developed enough, you'd have mature enough to know mature, uh, mature things to consider in a partner. Right now, maybe all you are thinking is just the physique. I mean, you don't, you don't know the core value, right? You, you, you have not discovered the core value that we, that we help relationship. Because it's not every value, it's not everything that someone has that's, can that can sustain a marriage. What you're preparing for is a marriage, not just a dating affair. I don't know if you understand that. So you've got to be very, very intentional about it. It's not something to play about. So eventually, when time you mature up, God will start God will lay some stuff in your mind, in your spirit, and then eventually, right? Eventually, you you too, you know some things that are good for you. You know something that are good for you that that aligns with your career, that aligns with the kind of family you want to build, that aligns with the kind of person you want to build with, that aligns with the kind of future you want to create. For, I mean, you want to have. By the time you start, by the time you you start discovering this thing, now knowing the kind of person you that you, that you get in relationship with will not be hard for you because at this time you've already been developed. Now, you can now make sound decision from a sound mind, not just an emotional decision. I mean, sound decision, spirit-filled decision, and um, a progressive decision that will stand the test of time. That's actually what you want to build, something that will stand the test of time. Not just something that is good for now, but something that will stand the test of time. Thank you very much. I hope this really bless you. Thank you. All right, so I'll be answering this question on... How do I live as a Christian in this crooked and perverse world? How do I live as a Christian in this crooked and perverse world? The very answer to that is to go deeper in God. That's the very answer to that. How do, we, how do you live as a Christian in this crooked and perverse world? Is to go deeper in God. This is a time that 
A believer cannot stay on the surface level. You cannot be indifferent. You have to choose which side you belong. You cannot combine the worldliness and godliness. You cannot combine it. As a matter of truth, you can only be on one side. So this is not the time to be indifferent. This is not the, it is to go deeper in God. It is to go deeper in God. The more deep you go in God, the more less your affinity with the world system. And let me tell you, the antidote to worldliness is godliness. The antidote to the love of the world is the love of God. So the love of God is an antidote. The, the journey, the, the deeper you journey in God, the deeper you journey in God, the deeper you journey in God, the less the affinity of the world system is to you. So you cannot be idle, you cannot be on the surface level, you cannot be indifferent, you cannot be. I mean, you've got to go deep, you've got to take your journey with God very serious because that is the only safe ground. That's the only safe ground. You, you, I mean, you've got to take your journey with God a lot very serious. Because as the day goes by, the, as the day goes by, the worldly system is getting heightened. The worldly system is advancing. And so the sons of light must advance in their journey with God. Job said, and by light I walk through darkness. It is only by the light of God that we can walk through the darkness. See, the, the world is not yet is not at the at the at the, the thickest darkness. The world will continue to get darker, and so the sons of light must continuously arm themselves with light, because it is only by light that we can walk through darkness. In as much as the world is getting more wicked, so also the civilization of the Holy Ghost. Because Bible said that in the last day I will pour, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. That means as we attend it towards the last days, the world system will be advancing, and also the technology of the Holy Ghost amidst the children of men, amidst the children of God, will be advancing too. So you've got to take side. You've got to take side. That means the world is advancing, the source of light too, but engage in advancing. Because godliness is the only antidote to worldliness. Our love for God is the only antidote to the love of the world. And so we must, we, and so we must understand that. So, the, so how to live as a Christian in this crooked and perverse world is to be, is to be intentional. Uh, in your journey with God, you don't put it on an auto run. You don't give it. You don't give it into a chance. You don't say uh, uh, if it will be. No, it is not. If it be, you've got to be very serious, very determined about it. When you are weary, when you are tired, you wake up again. This is what. This is where I belong. This is this is where I belong. This is how. This is the only way to live, and the world system will not catch up with you. And there are several ways of joining in God. Number one, equip yourself with sound doctrine. When I mean sound doctrine, I mean sound teaching. Sound teaching. Sound teaching. Because you cannot live above your doctrine. You cannot live above the doctrine that you believe. Bible said. Bible said in Acts chapter one verse one. Oh. Uh, the, the, the teachers have written to you, O Theophilus, of what that Jesus began to do and to teach. It is doing, then teaching. So you cannot live above your doctrine. Open your mind, open your civilization to sound doctrine, sound doctrine, sound teaching, not a licentious one, but the doctrine of grace, the way it is being taught in the scripture. That is one way. 
So understand, learn doctrine. Sit down, learn doctrine, learn the way of God. Be very intentional about it. Know, know, the, know, the, know the line between godliness and worldliness. Know the line, know the line, know the line. Equip yourself with God. A spiritual man is righteously streets to himself. This is not a time to party with the world. So expose yourself to sound teaching, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, sound teaching. Number two, true prayers. Because prayer is a means of joining. It's an adventure of joining with the Holy Ghost. So a believer must give himself to doctrine, to the teachings of the word, and to prayers. That's why in the book of Acts, he said, we give ourselves continually to the ministry of to the ministry of the word and prayers. Bible said. Daily, they continued in breaking of bread, in, 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 in the ministry of the word, and in prayer. That is, how the, that is how our Christian life is meant to be lived. Word. I've mentioned the word, I've mentioned word and doctrine, and then I've mentioned prayer. And, and lastly, fellowship with the brethren. We are, this journey is not meant to be a lone journey. Find the Bible-believing church and be accountable. Find a Bible-believing church and be accountable. Submit yourself to authority. Submit yourself to authority. Be accountable. Be accountable. So, fellowship with the brethren. Fellowship with the brethren. This is not a lone journey. It is a, it is a journey in company. We are, we are, we are, we are in a company of, of brethren. A single stick of broom cannot do the job. It will take you to work with the brethren. Fellowship with the brethren. Iron sharpens iron. So the friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. Bible said, they that walk with the wise shall be wise, but the companion of the foolish shall perish. I don't know if you understand that. So fellowship with the brethren is a sure way of keeping yourself. Fellowship with the brethren because that way you keep joining with God together. They can guide you. They can correct you. They can, they can instruct you. Attend a Bible-believing church. Find one and make yourself a member of them. Equip yourself with ministers. Go, let, be sensitized yourself. Equip yourself, your environment with godliness, godly music, godly messages. I mean, just let God define you and you will find yourself, I mean, godly content, godly content, and you find yourself living afloat the world system. Hallelujah. All right. So thank you very much. Once again, so the question is, what does it mean to survive or to flourish as a Christian? What does it mean to survive and to flourish as a Christian? Now, you must understand that the original purpose of God for us as a believer is not just to survive. It's not just to survive. It's not just to live with a survivor mode. In fact, survivor mode is one way of not fulfilling our destiny, our the commandment that the Lord gave us from Genesis chapter 1 is to multiply, to flourish. That is our goal. That is our existence. That is our reality. It is to flourish, not just to survive. I don't know if you understand that. So, and that is the, that is, that is what Christ actually provided. The Bible said that, come unto me, all ye that are labor, and I will give you rest. That rest, that is the way a believer is meant to live from. A believer is meant to live from the place of rest. It's meant to live from the place of rest and from the mindset, the spiritual understanding of flourishing. Bible said, blessed is a man 
that worketh not, that standeth not. That, that he said that that man is like a man that is like a tree that is planted bef- beside the river, because that is how men flourish. We have we flourish from the outflow of the Holy Spirit. That is our life. That is our existence. I don't know if you understand that. So any parts of your life that doesn't speak of rest, that doesn't speak of flourish, then you need to have a spiritual understanding about that part of your life and you need to trash it out. You need to leave because a believer lives from the place of flourishing and that doesn't really matter how much you have in your account or not. I don't know if you understand that. So it doesn't matter what you have in your account today. But then your existence is meant to be a man that is flourishing. And flourishing doesn't start from your financial life. It, it doesn't start from your financial state. It starts from your spirit life. That is really the source of flourishing. Because a man, because I will say that, I wish above all things that you live in good health and you prosper as your soul prospered. Because the real prosperity starts from the prosperity of your soul. And your, the way your soul prospers is that it, it derives its prosperity from your spiritual state. From your spiritual state. Your spiritual state flows into your soul. A man that, is, a man that has all the amenities of the world, but then it doesn't prosper in his soul. God is not prospering in his soul. God is not, his, his soul is not filled with the knowledge of God. He's not a man that is truly prospering. He's not a man that is truly flourishing. So you must gauge, you must... Have a right judgment to understand what flourishing actually means. Flourishing means that a man that the will of God is finding full expression in every facet of his life. Do you understand that? That is a man that the will of God is finding full expression in every facet of his life. That is a man that is actually flourishing. You don't judge a man that is flourishing based on the richest person in the world. That doesn't mean that the person is flourishing. But that a, man, a person that his soul is flourishing, that, that, the, that the will of God is finding full expression, the word of God is, is, is filled, is filled with the word of the Lord, his soul is flourished. That is a man that is truly flourishing. And of course, this kind of flourishing can start from the spirit to your soul. Of course, it will affect every part of your life. Your relationship will flourish. Your business will flourish because you must understand that your life is not actually in compartments as it were. You must understand that your spiritual life is not exclusively different or in different to- or in a total different compartment from every part of your life. If your soul flourish by God, every part of your life will flourish. Do you understand that? So what you have is a spirit life. Every other part of you is an outflow of your spirit life. That is what it means for a man to flourish because that is because that is actually where that is actually the the origin that is your place of rest in the kingdom when we were saved we were saved into a place of rest first so we were saved to multiply to flourish to dominate the head I don't know if you understand that so and that is uh, and and that's actually what it means to flourish as a believer. And this, of course, affects your day-to-day life. In fact, your day-to-day, the way you dedicate your life day-to-day affects the flourishing of your soul. And that is why your 
devotion to God, your consecration to God needs to be like a priority in your life. Your prayers, your word, your hearings of God, the, the divine leadings. Because that is, you only flourish where God leads you to. You don't flourish where... That's why people say that the Lord is my shepherd. Number one, he's talking about the Lordship of God. Then he's talking about my shepherd. Then you will not want... If it is, if it's not your shepherd... And that you're a believer doesn't mean that he's your shepherd. Because Bible said that my sheep hears me and they obey me. That is so he said the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd is not a general, is not a general um is not is not a general thing. It's a individual thing. The Lord has to be your own shepherd. That is when you will not want. So we only flourish when we are in the sense of God's will, when we, when the will of God finds find expression in our life, when we are being led by God, when we are in consonance with God, when we are in alignment with God, and this is being fulfilled as we consecrate ourselves to him in prayer, in word, in obeying, in hearing his leading, and in obeying, in yielding to him, in staying in alignment with him. That is the only place where we flourish. God had to tell Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. Go to a land that I will show you. That is where, that is where he flourished. God, I think it was Isaac, he said that that land, they, I mean, they, it, it was a family land, but then it is in that same land that he yielded hundred foot. That that is the same land where he prospered. Prosperity is not is not in a location. It's not exclusively in a location, but where the will of God is. That is where men flourish. So the most important thing is to check: Are you in the will of God for your life? That is where to flourish. But if you're out of alignment, you may not flourish there. I don't know if you understand that. God secures your journey. God secures your journey. When um this man uh I forgotten the man I was sent to Nineveh. When Jonah, when Jonah, when, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God did not intend that he pays his transfer fee. But the Bible said that, no, he went down to Tashish and then he paid the tithe for the sheep that took him to Tashish. He paid the tithe. That journey that he went for, he didn't flourish there because he paid the tithe himself. You discover that when he was eventually meant to enter the Nineveh where God sent him, it was by a free transport that he, that he got there because a sheep, tra- sorry, a, a, a fish transported him to that place. That's to tell you that where to flourish, where you will flourish as a believer is in the center of God's way. It's in, it's in God's way for your life. And th- this is to tell you that what to pursue is God. Let God find expression in your being. Let God lead you and direct you. That is where you will flourish. That is where you will understand satisfaction in every conf- in, in every aspect of your life, spirit life, marriage, finance, business, live by the spirits, live by the spirits and you will flourish, live by the spirits and you will flourish, live by the spirits and you will flourish. That is what flourish, that is what it means to actually flourish as a believer. Having the will of God, being at the center of God's will or being, at, being in God's will and allowing the, 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 the multi-dimension of Christ to find expression in you through all facets of your life. That is where rest truly is. This is rest. This is refreshment. This is the civilization that is brought by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah.